please just stop and ask for directions? I know it's a cliche and somewhat less relevant in the modern world with sophisticated GPS, digital mapping tools and apps and so on, but it wasn't all that long ago that roadmaps, atlases, and helpful gas station attendants were vital parts of making your way in new or unfamiliar territory. In guides of all sorts, from books to websites to word of mouth on social media, can also help to clue the traveler in to local customs and lingo. There's one journey, though, that everybody takes sooner or later, but nobody comes back to tell us how it went. The ultimate journey, to the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, as Hamlet has it. The desire to know and to be ready for what awaits us there, and moreover, how to get there safely, has occupied a great deal of human thought, and also yielded a work of exacting detail, surprising flexibility, and just the right word at just the right time. A document that changed the world. The Book of Going Forth by Day, known more commonly today as the Book of the Dead, a set of spells and images from Egyptian funerary equipment by about 1600 BCE. I'm Joe Janes of the University of Washington Information School. The Book of the Dead was having something of a cultural moment in the late 70s when I was growing up, occupying much the same territory as horoscopes, mood rings, amulets, tarot cards, auras, and the like. I think it's the name, which you got to admit is really cool, even if it is made-up 19th century German. The culture, religion, and mystique of ancient Egypt has fascinated for millennia, from the Romans to today, with TV shows still trying to figure out who or what killed King Tut, umpteen mummy movies back to 1899, Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra, may Isis forgive us, walk like an Egyptian, and even the staggeringly awful Gods of Egypt movie. There's something compelling, dare we say, spellbinding about their civilization, art, and mythology. And think about it. Why is the Washington Monument an obelisk, of all things? What we now know as the Book of the Dead is many things, but it's not a book in any contemporary sense of the word. It's better described as a corpus, a repertoire of about 200 spells meant to assist the newly departed soul in its perilous travels to get to an afterlife of comfort and plenty. It's part of a genre called mortuary literature, which has its origins in earlier forms, starting with pyramid texts as far back as 2300 BCE, actually written on the walls of royal pyramids, sometimes with intentionally mutilated characters to prevent harm. These evolved into coffin texts, so named because they were written on the insides of coffins. Around 1700 BCE, sarcophagi changed from rectangular to more human shapes, which might have meant less room for, shall we say, interior writing, and that might have led to the adoption of papyrus, a writing material already in use for over a millennium, yielding the plentiful examples we now know of. Over time, these too evolved from the hieroglyphic writing we associate with ancient Egypt to the more readable hieratic script and the increasing addition of images, which were equally potent in achieving the desired effects. These papyri survived, in large part because the dry desert climate helped to preserve them, though there are examples stained with uh, fluids from the mummified remains they were buried with, often placed in direct contact with the bodies, presumably for easy access. 
The Egyptians believed that the only way to duat, the underworld, was through the tomb, and that rituals both in life and in death were necessary to get there. The newly deceased would have to make a dangerous journey, passing through a series of gateways or portals guarded by fearsome beasts, demons, and gods, and facing a number of challenges and questions along the way, requiring precise and correct answers at each stage, which the spells were meant to provide. So having them at the ready was critical in making it through successfully. Spells could protect you against dangerous animals, allow you to breathe or drink, or transform your physical form as necessary, reflecting their belief in magic, the power of both the written and the spoken word. After employing dozens of these preparatory and protective spells, providing detailed intel on the specific names of Gates and their guardians, the deceased would arrive for the Declaration of Innocence at the Hall of Two Truths, facing a panel of 42 judges, thank you, Douglas Adams, presided over by Osiris, god of the underworld. Here, spell 125 would have you covered, allowing you to correctly name each of the assessors and perform the negative confession, swearing your innocence to a long list of possible sins and crimes, including murder, blasphemy, cruelty, profiteering, adultery, impatience, tampering with weights, slaying sacred cattle. At this point, your heart, which they saw as the essence of the person and the seat of mind and intellect, which remembered what you did in life, would be weighed against a feather representing truth. One of the most discussed spells, number 30, directs the heart not to rat you out, literally not to make your name stink, which could come in quite handy for many of us. Failure at any stage meant an eternity of isolation, dishonor, and degradation, including the eating of excrement, ew, perpetual thirst, or being thrown into a lake of fire or devoured by wild beasts. Passing the test, on the other hand, led to paradise, a bountiful and successful afterlife filled with eating, drinking, sex, and work, though burial figures known as Ushapti would handily come to life to do that for you. Now, here's the thing that gets me. This has got to be the highest stakes journey you could imagine. One wrong move, one wrong word, and it's the dung hill for dinner forever. And there's lots of redundancy in the system. In addition to spells on the walls and insides of sarcophagi, there are examples on leather and stele, even on the mummifying linen bandages themselves, so the deceased would literally be wrapped in the spells. Others are intended to be inscribed on scarabs or magical bricks, but, and this is a pretty monumental but, of all the many examples which have been studied, no two appear to be identical. There is apparently no canonical or definitive version. Each person, and let's be clear, this is an elite and exclusive practice reserved for people who could afford it all, maybe 10% of the population at best, everybody got to pick their own from an evolving corpus of options and possibilities. There are commonalities and patterns, to be sure, but there's great variation in content and length, ranging from scraps with a handful of spells to scrolls up to 40 meters in length. The choices of which spells to include and in what order appear to be purposeful and carefully considered rather than merely random, though it's unclear by which criteria these decisions were made. Economic, perhaps? Personal preference? I have to say, for something this important in a culture so fixated on a successful afterlife, 
Not to mention the peace of mind of the living, it's astonishing that some of these practices seem idiosyncratic, and apparently that was not only okay, but more or less the norm. Scrolls were probably created in temple scriptoria by teams of professionals, some of whom would focus on images, others on text, not entirely unlike some modern comic books or graphic novels. Scholars estimate a good quality version could be produced in a week or two, though the quicker option for your dearly beloved on the go is a more or less off-the-rack version, with spaces left for names to be written in, including some instances where the characters needed to be stretched out or squeezed in to fit, and even some with the names still blank, which might have caused some red faces in front of Osiris. A decorated one might cost you the equivalent of a half year of a workman's wage or the price of three donkeys. Typical scroll often has a blank papyrus sheaf attached to the outside for protection. It is between 20 and 40 centimeters wide and highly structured, primarily using black ink with red for headings, openings, and the names of dangerous animals. There are regular margins, framing lines, fields for images which were increasingly prevalent over the centuries, so we know that great care was taken with these, though there's little evidence of practice or training versions that we know of, and master copies are quite rare. The practice continued through several periods and dynasties, eventually starting to fade out by the turn of the Common Era as the Greeks and Romans entered the scene. We owe that super cool name to Carl Richard Lepsius, described as the founder of German Egyptology, who apparently named it Totenbuch, perhaps from the Arabic term used by villagers to describe tomb papyri in general. I will not attempt the name by which the Egyptians knew it, but it translates roughly into the book of going forth by day, reinforcing that the soul is not trapped in the tomb, can move and go into the daylight as they so fervently hoped. Lepsius published the first translation with the numbering system still used today in 1842, followed by a comparative edition by the Swiss scholar Edouard Naville, who created a more or less complete version of each of the many dozens of spells with variations. That work took nearly 10 years, supplemented by vignettes drawn by his wife, Marguerite. At first, spells would have been drawn or transcribed for publication by hand using tracing paper. Then a metal movable typeset was created. Now, unsurprisingly, there are digital fonts, and hieroglyphic characters have their own Unicode points, created in 2009, nestling right between Cipro-Minoan cuneiform and Anatolian hieroglyphs. Research continues. The most recent complete version, the first in a century, was found in 2022 at the Saqqara Necropolis near Cairo. Many writers compare the book to a travel guide, which is fine, though I would also suggest it's an odd hybrid, not unlike a crocodile-headed god, with a password manager, or better still, those little post-it notes you're not supposed to have next to your computer that remind you of what codes you need to access what equally valuable in navigating the traps and pitfalls of the modern world. When your time comes, I might suggest you could do worse than start with spell nine. I have opened up every path which is in the sky and on earth, for I am the well-beloved son of my father Osiris. I am noble. I am a spirit. I am equipped. O oh, all you gods and all you spirits, prepare a path for me.